0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. What a great song that is. I hope you will decide that today. If you haven't decided it already, maybe you've already decided it once. Maybe you need to renew that decision today, I pray, and I hope that you will. We've been going through the book or excuse me, the chapter of Luke chapter 9, we've been talking about the cost of discipleship, following Jesus Christ and all that's entailed. We started this back in September, and when we started this series, we talked about how amazing it would be to experience the awesome power of God. If you take your page and just flip it back once to Luke chapter 9, you can see in verse 1 that Jesus gives the 12 disciples power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he begins to give them all of this power. Twelve disciples come in and they follow Jesus Christ and God gives them awesome, amazing power. Jesus gives his followers power and authority to cure people, to cure their diseases, and to cast out demons. Now, is there anybody here that would hate that? I would love to be able to do that. The awesome power of God working in us and through us. I think most people on the earth would love the opportunity to heal people. We would love the opportunity to go into the hospitals and raise people out of those beds. And say, you are healed, you are healed, you are healed. We have some family members, some friends that we would love to walk up to and say that you are healed of your disease. We have some people that have been consumed with satanic powers. We would love to be able to cast Satan out of them. We would love these opportunities to be able to have the power of God. The 12 disciples are given this opportunity. They're given this opportunity here in Luke chapter 9, but Jesus gives us some very pointed, revealing instructions about our heart's desires. He begins to delve into the reason why we often do not follow him and therefore do not experience his awesome power. He tells us we need to deny ourselves. He says we need to take up our cross daily and follow him. He deals with the lust of our flesh. He says, listen, if you are ever in self-preservation mode, then you are fulfilling the lust of your flesh, and you will never follow me. He deals with the lust of our eyes and trying to gain the whole world, but losing our own souls. And he deals with the pride of our lives. And how we are so often ashamed of him and of his words. Jesus further deals with our selfishness and pride all the way through chapter 9. It culminates with three specific examples. Three specific examples of three men who, one, volunteers and says, I will follow you. And Jesus says, No, listen, you don't need to crave comfort. You need to crave Jesus Christ because foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not to where to lay his head. He then continues to point out our cares. And how so often we care more about the things of this earth than we do the things of Jesus Christ. And then he describes the last man who was so adamant that he was going to follow Jesus, but let me first go home and say goodbye to my family. And he, Jesus points out that we are often casual in our service to him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I hear the stories of these three men and I feel a little bit discouraged maybe even a little bit frustrated with my own life. Because if I'm honest, I see these things in my life. I see my craving for comfort. I see the cares of this world overcoming and taking precedent over the cares of Jesus Christ, and I see myself as a casual Christian far too often. If I'm honest, I get a little depressed with that, a little frustrated, a little uh, irritated as to where I am in my life. Often frustrated with my lack of concern. Sometimes I get to the point where I'm like, you know what? With those qualifications, qualifications that Jesus has given us to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and to follow him, and to push ourselves aside and push our lust of the flesh aside and push our lust of the eyes aside and our pride of life aside, is there really anybody who can truly follow Jesus? Maybe you're thinking that today. I, I don't know what you're thinking, but The reality is this, if we go through all of that and at the end of Luke chapter 9, we're feeling a little depressed, can I read Luke chapter 10 and verse 1? Would you read it with me? The Bible says this, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. What's that number? 70. We just read three who we really have no idea if they follow Jesus or not. Jesus doesn't give us the specifics about these 70, but there are 70 now that are appointed. And look what he does. And sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. So he sends them two by two. So if anybody's really good at math, we were actually talking about math this morning. How, how many pairs is that? 35. Woo! You guys passed the test for today. 35 Groups of two people go out, and they go to different cities and different places, and they are going to proclaim Jesus Christ to those places. Wow, listen, now that encourages me. So listen, these three men, they may have not done what Jesus had called them to do, but listen, there are 70 others that are willing to go. There's 12 And now another 70, they answer, they call, they deny themselves, they take up their cross, and they begin to follow Jesus. But notice the very first thing that Jesus instructs of them. Look at verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now I go from encouragement to, again, discouragement. There are 70 that want to serve Christ. There are 70 that are going to go forward. There are 70 that are going to proclaim his name and proclaim the kingdom of God. But then Jesus' first instruction to them is, Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. His first instruction is pray for more. Pray for more. With all of this instruction, with all of this conviction, with all of the powerful healing and miracles, with all of the opportunities that were in front of these 70 people, that were in front of the 12 disciples before that, with all of this in front of them, Let me ask you this question, and this will be the theme of the whole passage. Why are there so few laborers? Why are the laborers so few? Ask yourself this question this morning. Why are the laborers so few? Jesus specifically points to this. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. The harvest is great. Look what he says. But the laborers laborers are few why are there so few laborers why are the laborers so few why don't we see what jesus is getting at you may sit here this morning and think 70 is enough you might look at our church staff and go four pastors is enough to cover the world You might look at all churches across Canada and say, well, that's enough. You might look at all churches across the United States and say, well, that's enough. You might look at all churches across the world and say, well, that's enough. But Jesus is saying, listen, I've got 82 people that are willing to go out and to serve me. But listen, that's too few. Let me ask you this morning, why are the laborers so few? I have three options. And I think they all tie together. Number one, we don't see the harvest. Don't miss this. Please do not miss this. We don't see the harvest. Now bear with me. I'm going to get into a little bit of farmer talk, all right? So hold on. How many of you drive by a cornfield and consciously, consciously think to yourself, that field needs to be harvested? How many of you do that? That's, that's maybe half of the congregation. Okay? I'm pretty sure that every one of you look at a cornfield at least once a day. You see it. We see the golden brown fields of a bro- approximately eight foot tall, beautiful looking corn, tassels blowing in the wind. You're laughing because you're like, who pays attention to this stuff? We see them. We see them every day, but very rarely do we ever think, I hope that farmer harvests that field. We see the fields every day. We drive by them. They're there all day, every day. They're there. They're there. They're there. But nobody ever thinks, man, that field needs to be harvested. You know the only people who think that? Farmers. Farmers are the only people who think that. Listen, I used to be a farmer, so I literally think that way. I know I'm a loser. I got it, all right? Thanks for just making me feel so good about myself. But listen, I drive by fields every day, and I go, man, I hope they get that down. It's getting pretty late. I wonder what the moisture content is at this point. Again, some of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? I understand. Listen, people who are concerned about the field are the people, listen, who are invested in it. I just happened to run a few numbers this week. It would cost a farmer to till, plant, and harvest corn at least $2.5 million in equipment. As if you were to go and buy a tractor, some tilling equipment, a tractor and a seed planter, a combine and a trailer. Let me say that again. Two and a half million dollars. Let me say it one more time. Two and a half million dollars. Anybody have that kind of change laying around? Come talk to me afterwards if you do, Okay. Two and a half million dollars, they're invested into it. That's just to till. That's just to plant. That is just to harvest the corn and get it out of the field. Listen, that says nothing of storage. That says nothing of fuel. That says nothing of manpower. That says nothing of fertilizer. That says nothing of a whole lot of other things that go into that. Two and a half million dollars. Listen, that's a huge investment. Farmers need, listen, hear me, farmers need to get the harvest out of the field. They need to. They don't make any money when the corn just sits in the field. The reality is this, not, not one of us, maybe there are some of us, most of us don't have that kind of investment in corn. We are just the consumer. That's it. We're just the consumer. Man, I love going to the the vegetable stand and picking up some fresh sweet corn. Love it. It's great. Buy $10 worth and take it home to my family and just enjoy it. We're just the consumer. We are just the end consumer of what the farmer plants. Listen, we're just getting down to the root of the problem, and here it is. In God's economy, there are very few people that see the harvest. Oh, we see the field. We drive by them every day. We see them at our workplace. We see them here, there, and everywhere. We see them at the grocery store. We see the field, but we don't see the harvest. The reality is that most of us are just consumers of God's goodness. We have no investment. We have no care for the harvest. We are completely content to gorge ourselves at the table of the goodness of God. We're completely content to sit there and then consume and consume. And guess what happens? When we feel like the goodness of God does not meet our standards, what do we do? We complain about it. So how does that look? We will pray for our needs. We'll ask for the good things of God to be bestowed upon us. God, I'm struggling a little bit with this area of my life. Would you please fulfill that need? I'm struggling with my finances. Would you please fulfill that need? And we'll begin to ask for more of the goodness of God because we just don't think that God is good enough to us. Because we've been so consumer focused. But most of us never see the need of the harvest. I'm going to encourage you this morning that it's about time we see the harvest. You realize that if corn is not harvested from the fields, listen please, if the corn is not harvested from the field, we as consumers are not going to be happy. You might think, oh, I can deal without some sweet corn. Hold on. Listen to all the things that corn has to be a part of, and this is not an exhaustive list. If corn is not harvested, we do not have cereal, snack foods, salad dressing, soft drinks, chewing gum, peanut butter, taco shells. We do not have soaps, paints, quartz, linoleum, polish, adhesives, rubber substitutes, wallboard, dry cell batteries, textiles, finishings, cosmetic powders, candles, dyes, pharmaceuticals, lubricants, insulation, wallpaper, and a whole lot more. If we don't have corn. So, listen, you might say, Oh, no big deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's just corn in a field. Listen, it's just one farmer who's not going to get his money. Listen, it goes far beyond one farmer who's not getting his money. We, as consumers, are going to end up paying for that. Please don't miss this. The harvest plays an important part of our lives, and so many of us don't even see it. That's just corn. Listen, let's bring this spiritually. The purpose of our lives on this earth is to glorify God. The best way to do this is to be a part of the harvest. You might ask yourself the question, why in the world would God leave us here on this earth? Why in the world would God leave us here on this earth? He left us here so that we will show and tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. Listen. The harvest is our purpose. Don't, please don't miss this. The harvest is our purpose. We were left here to be a part of the harvest, and we drive by it every day, never even seeing it. Never even noticing it. Never even thinking about the harvest. You say, Pastor Yeomans, what is the harvest? The harvest is people. People. Without the harvest, listen, without the harvest, if we do not have a harvest, why in the world would we ever follow Jesus? This is the whole crux of this entire series. Without the harvest, there is no need to follow Jesus. I don't need him for anything else. He's already saved my soul, so I'm good. I got everything under control. I'm going to heaven. I got my fire insurance. Without the harvest, there is no need to follow Jesus. We have no need of declaring him to other people. There's no need for these 70. There's no need for the 12. There's no need for more laborers without the harvest. Hopefully, by now, you're aware of that there is a harvest. The second reason I want to give you, maybe you see the harvest, but number two, we just don't believe there's a return. We don't believe that there is a return. If my research is correct, on average, a field of corn will produce around $1,000 per acre. Approximately, depending on corn prices. Listen to that again, $1,000 per acre. This makes spending $2.5 million a little more feasible. If you bring in $1,000 per acre and you have 3,000 acres to bring in, Listen, anybody really good at math? That's a $3 million return on your investment. That's more than $2.5 million. So there is a return on the investment. No one, no one would make a $2.5 million investment to plant a garden. If you do, again, please come talk to me. Nobody makes that kind of investment just to plant a garden of 20 stalks. I'm going to start up my tractor that's worth six, eight $800,000 to take care of 20 stalks of corn. We don't see a return. We don't invest in that harvest because we don't see the return. We think, well, what's the use? It's just a few here and there. We're actually like the disciples in John chapter 4. Would you turn over to John chapter 4 with me? John chapter 4. Here's the reality while you're turning there. Jesus says, I must needs go into Samaria. They begin traveling and the disciples are walking and Jesus sits down by a well and the disciples go into town. They go into town to buy food. And there, I just picture the disciples laughing, having a good time, being guys, you know, going into town. They're going to get some food and they're just having a good time. And I have no doubt in my mind that they walk past the Samaritan woman. They walk past her, laughing, carrying on. I have no doubt that she walks beside them and then hits, gets to the well Jesus introduces himself to her, and she comes to Jesus and knows him. I want to read John chapter 4 and verse 31. The Bible says this. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Watch this. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? Who's Who's bringing Jesus something to eat? I thought we were going to get food. Verse verse 34, the Bible says this, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Why? For they are white already to harvest. They're white already to harvest. Listen, here's the reality. We don't think there is anyone who wants to hear about Jesus. We believe that. We think that there is no one in our city, there is no one in Ontario, there is no one in our surrounding street that wants to hear about Jesus. We believe that. We tell ourselves that. We think that. And so what do we do? We just go into town and get food. We just carry on with the daily things of life, and we let time after time after time after time after time after person after person slide by us. And Jesus is saying, just lift up your eyes. See that there is a return. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, we care more about what's going on in this earth than we do about the kingdom of God. And so people pass us by. Jesus says here in John 4, 35, that the fields are white unto harvest. They are ready to be harvested. It's ready to go. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 that the harvest is great. Can you please notice something with me? He does not say that the field is great. Please hear me. He does not say that the field is great. He does not say that the need is great. We all know that the need is great. Seven million, probably coming close to eight million people, are eight billion people, excuse me, do not know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. We know that the need is great, but look at what Jesus says. He says the harvest is great. The harvest is great. Those that are ready to be harvested is a great number. There's a great return. Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to make a huge investment if there's only 20 stocks of corn. But listen, if I got 3, 4, 5,000 acres, I'm going to make some money. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of work, but I'm going to make some money. Listen, if we would see the return So often we don't see it. But let me tell you this morning, Jesus does. Jesus sees it. And hear me, we are called to follow him and we are called to trust him. What he says. I want you to notice one other thing. Go back to Luke chapter 10 and look at verse 1. Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, after these things the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two, watch, watch why, before his face into every city and place, watch, whither he himself would come. Jesus was going to those cities. Hey guys, you go ahead of me, you let everybody know that I'm coming. They went there and told them about Jesus before he got there. Can I reiterate something that we often forget? Jesus is coming to this earth again. It could be today. Jesus is coming to this earth again. Jesus is going to reap his harvest. Jesus is going to reap his harvest. He is going to take his children home with him again when he comes here again. We have been commissioned to prepare the way. We have been commissioned to herald his coming. We have been commissioned to tell everyone about his coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. coming. We just walk into a town. Eh, nah, no big deal. It could he could come today. We don't really know. The harvest is great. Please understand me. It's not a garden. It's a huge, huge field ready to be harvested. But again, listen. The laborers are few. Number three, and finally, why don't we have any laborers? Because we don't pray for laborers. We don't pray. For laborers. Notice again in verse 2: Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Watch, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. J.C. Riley, commentator, said this: Prayer is one of the best and most powerful means of helping forward the cause of Christ in the world. Listen to that again. Prayer is is one of the best and most powerful means of helping forward the cause of Christ in the world. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says this, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let me encourage you this morning. This is your practical takeaway for today. Pray For laborers. Pray for laborers. Pray that God would have an adequate amount of laborers. As many as he deems necessary. Pray for laborers. Pray that people would live their lives in such a way that they would follow Jesus. Pray that people would live their lives in such a way that they would follow him with every step. That they would deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Pray that way pray in such a way that they that every person that knows Jesus Christ would present him to every person that they came into contact with. Stephen Cole again a preacher and a commentator he said this every believer is to be a witness of Jesus Christ to others. Every believer is to be a witness of Jesus Christ to others in his or her f- sphere of influence. Every believer is to be a good steward of the material resources God has entrusted to him so that we use our money and our possessions to further his cause. So please hear me. You can't pray for workers very long before the Lord taps you on the shoulder and asks, Will you be my laborer? Will you work in my harvest? My challenge to you is so simple. This morning we're going to take a minute in just just a few seconds and we're going to give you some time to pray my only challenge for you today is simply this pray for laborers pray for laborers and i have no doubt in my mind that some of you god will tap on the shoulder and say what about you why can't you be a laborer in my harvest why can't you work in my harvest? I have no doubt that some of you, God has already told you that. And whether you push him away or whether you say, all right, I'll do it, and you've forgotten, I don't know what the circumstance is today, but just begin by praying for laborers. And if God does touch you on the shoulder, no matter where you are in your life, no matter if you're 95 years old, Or if you're 19 years old. Listen, you can be a laborer in his harvest. Very quickly, most of us think that a laborer has to be a full time pastor, a full time missionary. No, no, no. Labor in his harvest where you go to work. Labor in his harvest where you go for coffee. Labor in his harvest raising your children. Labor in his harvest raising your grandchildren. Listen, labor in his harvest where you are. Follow Jesus Christ. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers, are few. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity of studying your word again. Father, as we look to you now, I pray for laborers. People who are willing, ready, able to work in your harvest, to follow you, give their lives to you for the harvest of souls. Father, help us to see, see people how you see them. In need of a Savior, sheep having no shepherd. Harvest that's white. Father, convict us, challenge us. Help us to see people in a different light today. We pray all these things in your name.